Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 80. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to carsyeah.com and get a free copy of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to carsyeah.com, click on the free book button on the homepage, and download your Filler Up book today. It's free at carsyeah.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm really excited to introduce a very special guest, Dwight Knowlton. Dwight, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am absolutely buckled up and ready for a fun ride. All right. It's great to have you here. Dwight Knowlton is founder of 73 Ideas. It's a boutique agency of sorts, drawing on more than a decade of his experience working with small to mid-sized businesses and numerous Fortune 500 brands. Dwight's been a part of growing some startups into international competitors and was recently part of a tech startup that enjoyed a successful exit, selling to a leading investment bank. Now he's seeking to live his passion. Dwight's a car guy and has a dual overhead cam where his heart should be. He founded 73 Ideas, an award-winning design and branding firm specializing only in automotive-related work. I found Dwight because of a wonderful book he wrote, designed, and illustrated, The Little Red Racing Car. It's an award-winning father-and-son picture book story about a 1955 Maserati 300S. It's steeped in automotive heritage and features Sir Sterling Moss. His second book will be out later this year and is the collaboration with Sir Sterling, telling the story of a record-crushing win of the 1955 Miglia. Dwight's tagline, and I love this, Carpe Viam. So, Dwight, I've told our listeners a little about you. Would you take some time and share some more about your history, your career, your interest, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, Mark, thanks for having me, first of all, and thanks for, for what you're doing. I, um, I love people that are sharing the car hobby, and you're obviously you're connecting with some amazing people putting this work together, and, uh, and I love it. I think it's going to be an incredible resource. It's, it, it's growing so fast. Thank you. I fell in love with cars very young. I started drawing cars, I think, uh, about the time I could hold a pencil. I remember specifically that I had some young friends that would get very frustrated with me because you know I might have them over on a Sunday afternoon or something, and, uh, and pretty much all I wanted to do, what people would consider a play date, I considered time to have someone over and draw cars. And I remember a lot of people saying, can we do something else? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I just loved cars as a kid. And uh, when I was 15, I discovered my grandfather's old work truck, which he had parked and pulled a couple blankets over out in his barn. Uh, it was a 1965 Chevy truck. It was a barn find. And to me, that was just preposterously exciting. I remember I was out walking around his property and I saw some a headlight sticking out from under a blanket and I started pulling it back. And the interesting thing about the 65 Chevy truck is just that it looked older really than it was. The 65 Fords did not look as vintage as the 65 Chevy did. So to me, I was looking at something 
and it just looked old and and wonderful and it, it had a cracked windshield and it had you know it was in Michigan so it was kind of rusted from the hips down and the rocker panels were gone and but I loved it and I made my grandpa a cash offer a very 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 small cash offer <laughs> and uh, from my hay bailing money and and he it hadn't been registered for years and so he gladly said you know if this is going to go somewhere and it's going to do something I'd, I'd love to see that happen and and so I, I bought that truck before I was even old enough to drive and he arranged the transport of it down the few hours away that that I lived and I started working on that truck to have it ready for for when I had my license and that was my first project and, and so my first project was a barn find nice I had some more projects that one ended poorly and I might come back to that later but uh, in the middle of that project now I would have the wherewithal probably or the connections to do something about this. But at the time, the last straw for me was in the middle of the project, a tree fell across a property line, caving in the cab of the truck Oh no! Uh, and <laughs> banging in the hood and, and, and did a bunch of damage that it was in bad enough shape to begin with. It didn't need any help. And, and, and so I, I gave up. I went into multiple projects then through my late teens and 20s and then skipping ahead to now as far as my auto automotive passion goes. Um, you know, I, I visit Gooding and RM and Barrett Jackson every year. I stand for probably longer than necessary be- beside almost every car and read every bit of history and photograph the details. And I'm just, I'm fascinated by, by the stories and, and by the patina. And, and so I, I love getting up close to stuff that was actually driven by Sir Sterling or Fangio or whoever it is, or, or this last year Gooding uh, had a trailer there. That was a prototype trailer built by the maker of the Spirit of St. Louis airplane. And that prototype ended up getting bought out by a company that became Airstream. Mm. And so there's just these historic things all on wheels, whether a trailer or a car or a truck, that I go see. And and I'm just fascinated by this stuff. That passion um, and fascination with the car has led me to want to share that with my son. And so when my son was born, I went looking for the perfect children's book to share my love of cars with him and what I found was kind of anything that was an automotive children's book at at least for the younger ages was a car you know an anthropomorphic car kind of frolicking in mud puddles and batting its eyelashes and giggling and that just wasn't I felt like you could tell a real car story to a kid and 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 simplify it enough that it could be a car uh, a real car and so that prompted me to start the project of the little red racing car which since then has it's won some awards and it's gotten it, it's gotten incredible support. I've been able to meet some just amazing people through it. Not the least of which, of course, is Sir Sterling Moss himself. Partway through that project, I sent a letter to Sir Sterling, and I told him I'm I'm writing the story. I've selected the Maserati 300S. I'm going to make it a real car story, and I'd like to pay homage to you by mentioning your name in the story. I know that might not be possible, but that's what I'd like to do. A few months later, I got a letter back from him on his wonderful British racing driver. Night of the British Order letterhead. <laughs> I, I came back from the mailbox uh, giggling like a schoolgirl, and, and my wife was wondering what was happening. And, uh, and so I had this letter from Sir Sterling saying, um, I give you permission to use my name in your story. Uh, I love what you're doing. And so over the course of time, that's developed into just some amazing support from he and Lady Susie. And uh, I just came back, actually, from the Lime Rock Historics, where uh, they were gracious enough to allow me kind of on their front porch, as it were, for all the book signings. And so I was signing at a table, Sir Sterling was signing at a table, and people were buying the Little Red Racing Car and pre-buying The Greatest Race, my collaboration with Sir Sterling. Wow. Uh, 
and we were both there signing. And so to, to be there at the start-finish line on the day of the Concours, and the only two people signing books are Sir Sterling Moss and myself, uh, is not lost on me. That was it. <laughs> did you just sit there and pinch yourself? I did. I'm actually kind of almost tearing up right now. It, yeah. was, it was a ridiculous experience for me. Oh, my gosh. You know, I had the pleasure of having dinner with Sir Sterling and his wife uh, when I was in Paris three years ago at Retromobile. And through these fortuitous arrangements through people that I knew, all of a sudden I found myself upstairs in a little restaurant down an alley in Paris. We had the whole room to ourselves, and there was eight of us. And sitting next to me was Sterling Moss. And I just kept going, how did I get here? <laughs> so that must have been a wonderful experience for you. And I'll tell the listeners, ha- I have children as well, and I wish this book had been around when my children were little, although I'm still going to get a copy for them because maybe they can hand it down to their children if I'm fortunate enough to have grandchildren someday. But uh, what a wonderful story. And what I want to do now, and we'll talk a little bit more as we go through this about your business as well, because I'd love for you to share with the listeners more about 73 Ideas and how you're tying that into the automotive field. But I always love to start with an inspirational quote. And as we continue down your journey This is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Dwight, take the wheel. Well, one of my very favorite quotes, and it's very specific to uh, the category of work that I do, is by Emile Zola, and it's, The artist is nothing without the gift, but the gift is nothing without the work. Well, how have you incorporated that into your life and your passion for cars? Well, I uh, I sweat the small stuff on creative projects. There are areas of my life, just ask my wife, where I am not a detail guy. But when it comes to strategy for a brand or expiration of a logo, possibilities for a children's book, the possibilities for story um, or illustrations from an, a different angle, I do about 80% more work than makes the final cut. I wrote The Little Red Racing Car. I had a goal of writing The Little Red Racing Car 20 times. I actually wrote it about 16, I think. Mm. Uh, not revisions from scratch. I sat down and I wrote a story and then I wrote a story again. And, and every story, some of them were similar, but they were all different stories. They had different pace, different things happened, different mm. things happened at different times. And then I went through and I just selected the nuggets that I felt I could pull and just make the best story. And so there's a lot of work thrown away, but it was the work that was thrown away that defined it. And then from an illustration perspective, just a, probably a week, maybe two weeks before it went to print, I actually threw away two of the illustrations and started over. And I firmly believe, as far as that quote goes, as far as the work being what proves it out, I think it's the work that gets thrown away that makes the kept work worthwhile. Oh, absolutely. And having studied art history in, in school, and uh, I'm a lover of art, and I'm a designer at heart, I think that quote is wonderful, and how you incorporate that into your life is fantastic, because if you look at many of the masters, they did so many sketches and drawings before the final painting or sculpture was done. All that work that came before, most people stand in a gallery and go, wow, he must have just picked up a brush and painted that. That's cool. But rarely is that happening. And even today, with, with design, graphic design, all the things you see online, people that are great artists, great designers. There's a lot of sweating the details beforehand. Thanks for sharing that with us. Could you share a story that instigated your passion for cars? And maybe it was that truck of your grandfather's. 
Tell us that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy. Well, you know, I I did. I was already sketching cars and and loving cars, and I was modifying. If you remember the Stomper toys, oh um, yes, from the eighties, I was cutting plastic parts off from videotapes and things and making snow blades. And I mean, I you know, I I was already a car guy, but I'll tell you that the absolute defining pivotal moment for me was my dad reading the the book The Red Car by Don Stanford. Mm. Read it to me at about seven years old about a chapter a night, maybe two nights a week or so. It probably took us three weeks to read the book or so. And I didn't want it to. I wanted it to take a really, really long single night. I, <laughs> I could not get enough uh, of that book. In, in that book, uh, it's the story of an MGTC, and it's this kid named Hap Adams, and he finds this burned-out racing car sitting behind a garage or a barn. I can't remember which. And he decides he wants it, and he wants to rebuild it and race with it. Now, this is set in the 50s, so this this car is going up against the big floating boat Buicks and Cadillacs and Chevys of the time. And he's running around in this tiny little light car that he, I believe, put a, a Ford flathead in or something because the engine was no good. But he rebuilds it with the help of this small-town mechanic who's hiding away and very private and turns out to be a former Bugatti mechanic running this small town garage and he has this set of tools that Hap discovers in a drawer with the EB logo on them and they're hidden under this piece of blue velvet. And I remember I, just, just these details, like they almost give me chills now. And <laughs> that book was absolutely the pivotal moment for me, knowing that I was in love with cars and knowing that I was a car guy. Oh, yeah. I came back years later to that story, probably as a college student. I think I'd maybe reread it in high school, but I came back to it years later as an adult, and, and I thought I would reread it, but I just didn't. I, I had low expectations. I thought, you know, I, this story lives in my memory, and maybe I shouldn't reread it. And I can tell you that still as an adult, that story just gets my automotive blood pumping. <laughs> what a wonderful tale. And, you know, for me, it was Ian Fleming's Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. My parents bought me that book, and I still have it to this day, and I pick it up and reread it sometimes. And uh, isn't it wonderful? And here you are writing your own children's books today. Uh, Little did you know at the time where you'd end up now. That's wonderful. So Dwight, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and really crawl under the hood and maybe get our hands a little dirty here. Would you share with our listeners a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your career? And maybe it pushed you to a breaking point, but more importantly, share with us how you overcame that and what you learned from it. Well, I've, I've kind of got two. I've got one of the defining breaking points of my life that really, that really helped reinvent my life and led me to where I am now. And, and then I've got one that's kind of a, a daily thing with, this, with the new direction I'm going. So after starting in what I thought would be a fine art career when I went off to college and moving into design and a couple different design jobs for, for packaging and, and, and then for retail environments, I was a founder in a company, a junior partner in a company that landed a, an enormous account, enormous, with a Fortune 50 retailer uh, for the total redesign, floor to ceiling, um, and, and a large amount of rebranding of the company. I got to fly around in the corporate jet with the executive team and, and was working from an annex there in California where they were. And, and I really thought, I was beginning to think that if I hadn't arrived, I was arriving. <laughs> and suddenly I was starting over. I was, I was uh, the other partners were business people and I was a creative and once we had the account, I was forced out of the company and starting over again. So I, I sold 
everything that I owned for nickels on the dollar and packed everything I had in my car and I moved out to Phoenix, Arizona. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I moved in with a buddy of mine from college who was the best man in my wedding, a, a lifelong friend of mine. Hard to believe now that it's been like 25 years or so, but uh, <laughs> moved out to Arizona. And because of that, I met my lovely wife and have two beautiful children. And it, it's just redefined my life and my priorities. That is a major breaking point that really changed everything for me. But here's now, <laughs> that one overwhelmed me. And this one is just something I've been, I'm capable of this now because of that, I think. But I'm this whole new venture for me, uh, founding Carpe Viem Productions, which is the publishing company, and, and more than that also, I've got retail for a shirt line that's taking off and, and some fun stuff. But this stuff pushes me to the breaking point daily. <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a ridiculous amount of tedious, largely administrative, and completely thankless work that as a person who's passionate about creating the books and maybe creating the apparel too and things like that, it's the stuff that gets in the way of doing the stuff that I want to do. But it makes up about 90% of my day, and some days I don't, don't even get to touch creative work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, working on working on uh, negotiating international publishing contracts with, you know, the book is now out in Japanese in Japan. It's out in Chinese in uh, Taiwan, Hong Kong, and Macau. Wow. We're, we're working on a Middle East contract right now for 16 countries in the Middle East in Arabic. It all stops with me. The, you know, the publishing company, Carpe Viem Productions, is a guy in a room, and that guy is me. And so, <laughs> you know, I, I have an IP attorney, and she helps me with, with contracts. But, but I'm the person deciding everything, and I'm the person going back and forth and writing these long emails and managing inventory and working on printing and, and now distribution for this T-shirt line I've added. You know, because uh, when you start a publishing company, even if, even, if you're, uh, even if you're smart and even if you're good at it, and I might not be either of those things, you don't start something independently and have it take off and sell astronomical numbers, you know, in, in the first little while. Now, I would say I would say that I've been very blessed, but it still needs some additional help to be a living. And so, you know, I'm I'm working on uh, the addition of these T-shirts that I'll bring up at, at a certain point that have kind of become a hit. They're off to a great start and some things like that. But just my new breaking point is daily. So, so here I am now facing these breaking points daily, wearing too many hats to count, not having enough hours in the day to be a publisher and an author and an apparel designer and a fulfiller and a negotiator of international contracts and so forth. And, and having, you know, having Sir Sterling Moss as a collaborator, a, a willing supporter of the project, and then falling behind on it because I'm wearing these other hats that I like doing less than the stuff that I love doing. It's, <laughs> it's all, <laughs> all part of that challenge. Yeah. Um, being an entrepreneur. Oh, very much so. And I think there's a lot of listeners out there, young entrepreneurs are going, yeah, how do I get past this? And we won't even go down that road today because it involves when you can finally hire some VAs or hire somebody to come in and physically help you. And, and you'll get to that point, but these pain points are very common for entrepreneurs in any field of business. But let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I want you to share a story with us where you had a real aha moment with these new ventures or this new venture, time when you realized that an idea or a concept was really going to make it. And tell us, what were the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success? Well, I, I think that calling anything that I'm doing right now a success is probably premature. I, it, we're off to a great start, and goodness gracious, have I, have I I've met some amazing people along the way and everything. That, uh, success for me, though, is going to be when I can do everything I want to do for my family and, 
you know, like make their sacrifices pay off and, and have all this stuff come together. We've talked about the little red racing car some already, so I'll just touch on that and then I'll and then I'm gonna move on to it to a new aha moment. The aha moment of the little red racing car was when I had a son and I wanted to share this passion and I went looking for something and it didn't exist. And the second I talked about it to other people, every single person said, Right, yes, that doesn't exist. That needs to exist. How does this not exist? And so a father-son story a father-son car story, a car story about a real car, not a not an anthropomorphic, living, breathing, laughing, giggling car, a story about a car with history and heritage driven by a real driver, and on top of that, a barn find, which is like every man's favorite story, right? Right. And so that was, that was an aha moment of, yeah, I think I should do this. I want to do this. My new aha moment uh, happened just uh, a month or so ago, a couple months ago now, I guess, and that is, I saw a garage sign that said, still plays with cars. <laughs> and I don't think I'd ever seen that phrase before. I know that it's been around a while now, but it had never really resonated with me, and it struck me. And I think it was par- partially probably as a designer, the, the kind of vintage treatment of the type on this kind of weathered, faux weathered garage sign. But the second I saw that, I connected with it, and I immediately had another thought. And that was, how about a children's and adult pairing of T-shirts where the kid's shirt, the toddler or youth shirt, says, plays with cars, and the adult says, still plays with cars. <laughs> and so I put this shirt pairing together, and I got a small batch printed, and they, and they sold out in like four days. I mean, I told people what I was going to do, and they just bought them. They did, the shirts didn't even exist yet. So I've ended up down this path in the last couple months um, where I think I've sold out of the shirt now six times. Wow. My orders keep getting bigger and bigger. Um, I've had print run issues. We've had to change shirts, and I'm in the. We had some quality issues with one of the shirt manufacturers, and they were discoloring on the way through the ovens. And there have been all these hurdles, just like our last sex- segment mm-hmm. that we talked about of being an entrepreneur. Right. But all of the initial response has been just amazing, and there have been some incredible people that have said, "I want that shirt. I will wear it to events." And I, the, the places I've seen it in people's Instagram feeds and what people have worn them to and the people that they, they've sent me notes and said so and so complimented me on the shirt and I was like oh my goodness he's the he's the designer of the TT Freeman Thomas is one of my favorite designers ever and he liked the shirt I did you know that nice. that that kind of stuff so that so far looks like it's going to be a success and and I've launched that that's on my pairing I, it, that pairing is on my website carpegear.com so seize the road carpe viam my phrase seize the gear carpegear.com. Ah, so fun. And, you know, a couple things come to mind real quickly. Nicholas Hunsiker, who is an artist who has been on Cars, yeah, went through a similar deal. He's a painter. He wanted to sell paintings. And somebody said, gosh, you should put some of your ideas on T-shirts. And he really resisted it at first because he thought he was somewhat selling out his artistic creations. And that business has just gone crazy for him. So I think you're on a great path here. That aha moment is fantastic. Let's have a little fun here. What was your first really special car? And could you share a memory you had with that vehicle? Yeah, I, w- I was 20. You know, I had a couple cars before that that I was, I was just happy to have cars. If they had wheels and they got me places and I could pop rivet some pieces of metal where the rust was and, and bondo over it, I, you know, I, I was happy. When I was 20, I got 10-year-old uh, Mazda RX-7. And I, I had loved the RX-7. I'd been watching them in magazines for a long time. And, and for me, a 10-year-old car was the newest car I'd had yet. Mm-hmm. And I loved that car. It was the first car that I ever had that I really wanted to be seen in. 
it, it was a bronzish brown, which wasn't my favorite then, but I think I'd probably like the color now quite a bit. As far as stories go, I, I don't know. One of them pops to mind where, um, where we were getting it up to speed down a highway. I had it while I was in college, and a couple of my buddies stood up through the moonroof, and one of them had glasses on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he turned his head to the side, and mm-hmm. his glasses caught a gust and uh, skidded down the road for a ways, and, and it just so happened they landed like flat on the lenses, and so they skidded on the lenses Ooh. for 100 yards, and, and they were not glasses anymore, but... Um, it, that's that's a funny story too, actually, to, to jump away for just a second, because that's one of the stories in The Greatest Race, the story of Sir Sterling's win of the Mille Amelia. That's one of the pages is Dennis Jenkinson being tossed around in the passenger seat of the 300SL, loses his breakfast over the side of the car. And when he turns, the, the wind catches his glasses, tears them off. Thankfully, he as a navigator had a spare pair in his pocket, but you know, there's a direct tie-in of, of my college story. And, there you and that's, go. But, um, Who knows where a story's going to come from? Yeah. One more funny little thing about that car is uh, I read that it was capable of 130 miles per hour, but after multiple attempts, I realized I was never going to get it over 127. <laughs> well, good for you. <laughs> How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've had in your past that you really wish you could have back? There absolutely is, and there are two of them. One is, for absolutely sentimental reasons, it's that 1965 Chevy truck that I got from my grandpa. Mm -hmm. I've kind of always known that I'll have one again. I'd love to get one with a nice patina on it and and hand letter carpe viem type on the side and then maybe give that a real good wet sand to break through that, get it down there where it looks like it was lettered in the 50s maybe, uh, in the 60s, and let that be my work truck. But the other would be I had a, I had a 1966 fiberglass-bodied Manx-style dune buggy on a shortened VW pan. And I never finished the project. I bought it as a non-running car, started working on cosmetics first. And being a poor college student and various other things that I was pursuing and so forth, I never finished the project. That's something that I definitely wish I never would have sold. <laughs> the Myers-Manx, right? Yeah, you know, I think, I think mine was a, a knockoff, but it was very much that style. And it was definitely, you, could, you knew that it was one of the original ones because it was like a bright gold giant metal flake gel coat in the fiberglass. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember those having grown up in Southern California. A lot of people had those. They were cool. Now, you may have already answered this next question with your new book, but is there a current project you're working on now that really has you fired up and excited? You know, um, that, that one definitely does. As far as the book goes, Sir Sterling's 85th birthday was two days ago, and I was able to send off my final pre-editor, but final, final draft of the story for The Greatest Race. And that has been a really, really hard thing for me to do. The gravity of this story has not been lost on me. It, it's a story that enough people know, and it's historically valuable enough, has icons attached to it with Mercedes-Benz and Sir Sterling Moss. People aren't going to let me get away with a bad story. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's been very heavy on me that it has to be good. And so I've really sweated over it. Um, I, I think I'd be stretching it to say it's given me an ulcer, but it's definitely given me <laughs> some discomfort. You've been sweating um, those little I, details. Oh, I have. I have. Um, one of the wonderful little moments uh, from Lime Rock was I've, I've done this map. It's, about a, it's probably a two-foot-by-three-foot poster that I've hand-drawn and all of my collected notes from every book on the Mille Melia, every the motorsport articles, Dennis Jenkinson's account, Sir Sterling's 722 book, his 1955 diary scrapbook, 
all of that stuff. My, my, my stuff from the archives, Mercedes-Benz is on board, so they've lent me documents from the archives, photographs from the archives. I've collected all those notes and handwritten every, at every control point and every place where something happened. I've, I've written everything onto this map that I have on my wall. And I, I rolled that up and I took it with me to Lime Rock and Sir Sterling and I got to sit down and he, he was reading my notes and we crossed out a couple things and he corrected a couple little details and then, uh, and then wrote fantastic and fun and signed it for me. Mm. But certainly, yes, as, uh, one of the projects that excites me is that. Mm. Jumping to an actual automotive project, I'm so excited and passionate about anything handcrafted and coach built. And I don't currently have the space, time, or resources for that kind of stuff, but it doesn't stop me from planning. And so I, I have just a ton of drawings and collected reference, the first project of which I call the Gia SS. Hmm. And it's my take on what the Germans would have built for a competitive Carmen Gia had they been out racing uh, with the Porsche RSKs and like the D-type Jags and so forth. It's, it's loaded with exposed rivets and, and louvers in interesting places and the exhaust ex- exiting differently um, than it does on a normal Gia. Leather straps for the hood, a tilt, tilt rear end, those old Dunlap wheels with the safety wire on the lugs. And I've just got sketches and sketches and sketches of all the details of this thing. And I've got enough probably to build six different unique cars. Um, <laughs> everything from kind of the absolute stripped down, no interior kind of sports racer version to more of a grand tourer with, you know, ostrich leather inserts in the door panel. But that is a car that I am passionate about actually building when I have the time and the space and, and the resources. Um, and, I, and I have some, some more sketches um, from that passion too, which I, I have a first gen um, Audi TT quattro roadster with the baseball leather interior and and when i when i saw one of the reasons i have it is when i when i saw the very first sketches by freeman thomas of that car um i i said basically to myself as a designer that is the first car ever that i've seen that could be something that i would have designed myself now i'm i'm not putting myself on a plane with freeman thomas's design i'm just saying that when i look at this car there's not something that i feel like i need to change and almost every time I look at a car that I love, there are things that I love about the BMW Z4s, things that I love about the Porsche Boxsters, but there's always something where I just wish they would have done this with this interior section or, I w- you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. And the, T- the TT was not like that. The, the TT was timeless for me. And, and I firmly believe that the TT is going to be to 90s automotive design what the XKE is to 60s. I believe it's going to be an icon of 90s automotive design. And I know that not everybody agrees with me. Trust me when I say that out loud. I hear from people that don't agree with me. But one of the things that comes out of those sketches for the Gia is the idea of building the original TT. Because the TT to me feels like something that could have had a predecessor. And so I have this idea in my head of taking a Gia or at least a Volkswagen floor floor pan and hammering out something that would be Audi's original TT. Mm. So if I get to do that someday, I, I would absolutely love to build that car. Well, I can't wait because the Gia holds a special place in my heart. I had one in high school, so that was my first sports car, and I'd love to have one again. That's awesome. Well, being a designer, here's a fun question for you. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be? You know, I, I spent a fair amount of time thinking about this, and I thought about it from a lot of angles, and, and it's very easy to get sucked into the design side as a designer. But since you give me one more chance later on, 
about a car that I find absolutely gorgeous and beautiful and I want that car, I decided to make this answer more about personality. Perfect. I think I'd be an early Volkswagen Beetle. And the reason is almost everybody has a fond memory of one. They make almost everyone smile. Everybody has a story. They're enjoyable, attainable, and they're not pretentious. I think that's a great choice. Now, would it be a, a dual window or the oval? You know, I'd take a split or an oval. One of my one of my best, best friends here in the Valley has a 57 oval window. And we it doesn't matter where we pull up. We meet at, at Gooding every year. Um, Saturday morning, we go to coffee, and then we walk the auction. And um, it doesn't matter where we pull up, and it doesn't matter what else is in the parking lot. This thing's like avocado green with the with the old wooden roof rack. Beautiful, beautiful car. He cleans up at the shows here in the valley. But it doesn't matter what's next to it; it stops the traffic. And mm-hmm. so they're just a they're a lovely car. And like I said, kind of seems like everybody's got a story about one. Oh yeah, and I'm sitting here smiling because I'm sitting in my house looking at my window. And as you were saying this, and I kid you not, my neighbor across the street just left in his '58 Volkswagen beetle (laughs) i'm going oh my gosh bruce that was great timing that's pretty darn funny all right dwight so we're up to a fun part of this talk the last lap and this is where i fire off a series of questions and i'm gonna have you give me some very quick blips of the throttle answers so you're ready to go all right what's the best automotive advice you've ever received don't accept payments on a private sale (laughs) perfect Can you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? I work on my endeavors relentlessly. I I don't really do other things for fun. I work on this. I work on this brand, and I work on even the things that aren't fun just all the time because I believe in it um, and because the parts that I enjoy, I really, truly enjoy. A word comes to mind when you say that, focus, and there's a great acronym for that, follow one course until successful. Mm. Do you have a resource that you could share with our listeners that you're really fond of? Maybe it's a website you visit or maybe it's an app that you use a lot on your phone. I looked at a bunch of different websites that I go to and I, and I gave this careful consideration. I'll tell you, just because I love craftsmanship the way I do and I love coach building, like I said, and metal shaping and so forth, one of the, one of the people that I find absolutely awe-inspiring and I find myself constantly, whether it's Facebook or his website, Uh, going to see is marknugent.com.au. It's just some of the most stunning coach building you'll ever see in your lifetime. It's astounding work, and and I I check often to see if there's a new photo posted. Dwight, would you share a book that you recently read that you really enjoyed with our listeners, other than, of course, your book? I just had the pleasure of meeting Tom Cotter while signing. We were both signing at the Lime Rock Historics, and so we chatted for a few minutes, and we traded books, and so I've been reading his latest uh, Fifty Shades of Rust couple stories at a time. And on that note, actually, he just announced that they're doing a barn find road trip right now, he and a couple other guys through Motorbooks. So that's, that's really cool. But that's, it's a book, Fifty Shades is a, is a book that I've been reading because it, it's just great for picking up when you only have a few minutes and, and I never have more than a few minutes. <laughs> great resource. Do you have any interesting hobbies outside of your passion for cars? I do. I love art and design, obviously. I'm a hobbyist photographer. But it's funny because when I thought about this, there are lots of things that I like, but they kind of all find their way back to the car. I like automotive art or art with autos in it probably better than anything else. While I've not had space for cars and car projects, I for a while gave myself a monthly budget and, and spent it on prints and automotive art. So I have some, some really fun stuff there. 
Uh, I'm a hobbyist photographer, but honestly, outside of photographing my kids, my absolute favorite thing in the world is uh, is cars and especially the macro shots. You know, going to these auctions and, of course, with you know, with all the branding and the background and everything, it kind of kills a certain amount of the taking full car shots. And so, one of the things that I love is is the macro shots, the gauges and the badges and the louvers and the straps and just getting the patina and the brake calipers and all that stuff. That's So kind of all my hobbies come back around and tie <laughs> into automotive. And that's why you're here on Cars, yeah. And I'll remind our listeners that you can find all these great resources that uh, Dwight has shared with us at com slash Dwight Knowlton. All right, Dwight, we're up to the checkered flag. This last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage... And this is something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars with. You're going to have to keep it. But money's no object. I'm going to buy you whatever you want today. What would that vehicle be and why? Well, first of all, this is the best news I've ever had. I've never been a guest on a show, and they said, I'm going to buy that car for you today. (laughs) I am thrilled to death. I didn't even have to think about this answer. The question and the answer are just in the same breath for me, and that is, without doubt, Ralph Lauren's Bugatti 57SC Atlantic Coupe. Oh, yes. It is, to me, it is simply the most exquisitely beautiful car in the world. I've, I've been fortunate enough to be in the room uh, very recently with his Porsche RSK, his D-Type, the Ferrari Le Mans Coupe. But even without the possibility of getting to own this car and keep it for the rest of my life and never sell it to buy anything else... I would just like to get to sit for a day alone in a room with the Atlantic. I, ju- I just think it's, it's breathtaking, and I don't, I don't see myself getting tired of just sitting and looking at it. Oh, yeah. That is an absolutely splendid vehicle. I had the pleasure of seeing that in person once, and uh, you picked a great choice, my friend. Great choice. Well, Dwight, you've taken us on a wonderful ride and a great journey today, and I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for being here. Could you give our listeners one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Bugatti? Well, I'll, I'll start with my tagline, and that is just carpe diem. That's my parting thought. Seize the road. Enjoy the path you're on. As far as advice, start now. If you have a dream, today's the best day to start. I've worked on some cool projects for some big brands in my design career, and really it all looks like such a waste now. I, I probably didn't have the maturity or the tools, uh, and I certainly didn't have my son to inspire this book. But I regret not beginning this journey years ago. Wonderful, wonderful advice. I really appreciate that. Would you let our listeners know what's the best way they can learn more about you and find you? And then we'll say goodbye. Well, to buy the Little Red Racing Car or the Plays With Cars t-shirts or other great stuff that I've got, you can visit carpegear.com. To learn more about the book, read reviews, see the press that it's gotten, learn about future projects and and collaborations, thelittleredracingcar.com. And then you can also connect at Facebook.com, The Little Red Racing Car. On Instagram, I'm at The Little Red Racing Car. And on Twitter, I'm at Red Racing Car. Fantastic. And I'll remind everybody again that all these references will be up on Dwight's show notes page at CarsYeah.com. Thank you, Dwight, for being so generous with your time and your expertise today and sharing your experiences with our listeners. I've had a great time. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.